If uh, you've got your Bibles with you, then you can start to turn to uh, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking this afternoon at the story of Simeon. Um, but, but just before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you a question. If, if you're expecting some visitors to come to your home, um, and they're meant to arrive at a particular time, how do you act? I mean, do you make sure that you've vacuumed the house again? Yeah, some of you nodding. Some of you just kind of can't settle to anything and just pace around. When will they be here? When will they be here? When will they be here? Or change your Facebook status to expecting visitors today, just so that the whole world knows that you're expecting visitors today. Or keep checking your phone, waiting for the sorry, we're, we're delayed or stuck in traffic type message. Or do you just make a cup of tea and chill out? They'll come when they come. It'll be fine. Just wonder what you do. This is what I tend to do. If I'm ahead of myself, and say, say I've got people coming around for dinner, say that I'm ahead of myself and um, the, the cooking's all done and the table's laid and all those fiddly bits of washing up are, are done and, and put away so it's all looking nice, I then get myself a book and go and sit in an armchair and start to read. However, much as I love reading, I can't concentrate on the book at all because I glance at the page, glance out the window glance at the page, glance out the window, and after about 10 minutes, realise that I've read the same sentence about 25 times, and I still don't know what the sentence is. So I then put my book down and just walk around the house, making sure I'm close to the front windows so I can just look out every time I hear a car go past. No, not them. No, not them. Just rubbish. Uh, Waiting for people to arrive. Today, we're looking at an account of someone who waited for someone to arrive. That's what Simeon did. And just before we read the passage, I want to set a little bit of context. Jesus has been born. And eight days after a Jewish male child was born, he had to be circumcised and named. And so that had happened. Jesus had been circumcised and named as Jesus And then when the baby was 40 days old, or when when the son was 40 days old, the Jewish law stated that the mother had to come and bring an offering in order to be purified. Because after giving birth, a, a, a mother was unclean for a period of time. 40 days for um, a, a son and, and longer for a daughter. And the offering that they had to present was a lamb for a burnt offering and either pigeon or dove for a sin offering. But if, they couldn't, if the family couldn't afford a lamb, then they were allowed to bring either a second dove or a second pigeon. And that's what we'll read that Moses, uh, Moses? Mary and Joseph did. Moses was the guy who wrote it all down. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so they brought along two doves and two pigeons. And on, in the same ceremony, if you like, the, the, the mother was purified, but also the firstborn son was offered to the Lord, presented to the Lord, because they were deemed to be holy to the Lord. So that's, that's the context that this story 
takes place in. So we're going to read Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 21 to 35. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said... Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I think we should pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you instruct and teach us. We thank you that there are such riches of truth in your scriptures. And we pray that as we look at this passage this afternoon, you would speak into our hearts. Father, may each of us have an encounter with you this afternoon. And may we go from here utterly changed because we have sat in the presence of the King of Kings. Amen. So I want to look at three questions related to this passage this afternoon. Um, I want to look at what was Simeon looking for? How did he look? And what did he see? So firstly then, what was Simeon looking for? Well, verse 25 tells us, it says that in verse 25, Simeon, this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. Now, I use the word looking. Most of you will have a translation of the Bible which says waiting. So if you've got ESV or NIV or something. But NASB says looking. And um, actually, the, the translation I like best is the J.B. Phillips translation, which uh, describes Simeon as living in expectation of the salvation of Israel. I just love that. So it's this idea of looking, waiting with a kind of anticipation, an expectation of something going to happen. So, what is the consolation of Israel? Well, I think it it reminds me of passages like Isaiah 40, and it's probably worth just uh, looking at that passage. This is one, actually, I think that Rob referred to last 
Sunday as a kingdom passage of, of Isaiah. But Isaiah chapter 40 begins with, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Simeon is looking for consolation of Israel. Isaiah says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed and that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The consolation of Israel has something about it of comfort, of salvation, something of peace, something of this justice and righteousness. It's something about, something is going to happen to Israel that will mean that things look better than they currently are. She's going to be consoled. She's going to be comforted. But you can't read passages like that in Isaiah, which talk about the nation, without thinking about the servant. And just a couple of chapters later, in chapter 42, we see similar themes being talked about, but about the servant. So Isaiah 42 starts off with this, and I'll read quite a few verses, I think. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A dimly, uh, sorry, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. And he goes on to say, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord and I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. And Simeon, as we've just read, prays, in fact, that verse. So he's waiting for this consolation of Israel. Something is going to happen to the nation that will make things better and it involves this servant of the Lord. This is going to be a significant person. But we read of salvation, we read of peace, we read of justice and righteousness. It sounds to me an awful lot like the kingdom of God. An awful lot like the kingdom of God. And that's what Simeon's waiting for, the consolation of Israel or salvation of Israel. But as well, he's not just waiting for something big to happen, which you could kind of think of that consolation of Israel as being a big fulfillment of big Old Testament promises. And he is waiting for that, but he's also holding on to a personal promise because he knew God's word to him. And so we read in verse uh, 26 that it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon is believing for this consolation of Israel and within that he knows that there is a personal promise to him that he will actually see the Lord's anointed the Lord's Christ, the Saviour, the Messiah. 
And so I think, what was Simeon looking for? He's kind of got two things going on in his mind as he's waiting, as he's looking. He's waiting for the kingdom to break out. He's waiting for the invasion of God's rule and reign. He's waiting for there to be a shift in the way things are, for freedom from oppression. He looks at the situation and thinks, this cannot be right that the Romans are in charge of us. There must be something different. This isn't a consoled Israel. This is an oppressed Israel. I think he's waiting again for God to champion his people once more. He's waiting for comfort. He's waiting for salvation to come. We just see it in his prayer. He talks about salvation in verse 30. He talks about the fact that it's going to affect all the peoples in verse 31. That light would shine on the Gentiles in verse 32. That there would be glory for Israel in verse 32, second half. That's what he's got, the big picture. That's what he's waiting for, the consolation of Israel. And he knows that he won't die until he sees the Lord's Christ. And he knows, I think, although I'm reading this into the text, that he knows that when he sees the Lord's Christ, there's going to be a shift. There's going to be a gear change. That this consolation of Israel, which must have seemed so far off for the people of of Israel, that when the Lord's Christ comes, then it's imminent. The ushering in of a new era. So what is he looking for? He's looking for the consolation of Israel. He's looking for the Christ, the Saviour. And so for us, I just wonder what promises you're living with. Simeon was living with these, these two things. This big promise of the consolation of Israel and this personal promise of, of seeing the Saviour. And I wonder whether for for each of us it might fall into three different areas. It might be the big picture stuff. It might be that you read your scriptures and you, you just feel unhappy that the gospel has not yet been preached to every tribe and tongue and people across the whole world. And you know that that is something you're holding on for. You want to see that take place in your lifetime. Why? Because you know that at the end of the end you will be part of the multitude that is drawn from all those different different tribes and tongues, worshipping the Lamb. Maybe you're holding on to uh, the big picture promise of revival to once again sweep through this land. That the age of Wesley and Whitfield is not just receding into the distance, but maybe, just maybe in our lifetime, we will see God sweep through this land once more and revive our land once again. So it might be big big picture promises that you're holding on to. It might be promises for you as an individual or you as a family. One that I'm living with is that when I was nine, I was at a Bible camp and someone prophesied over me that that God would use me powerfully in prayer. It's great. Don't think it's happened yet. Still waiting for it. I don't believe I've seen that fulfilled. I believe it will be. But in fact... My story, if you talk to me about my prayer life, is yes, there have been some times of of prayer when I've been able to meet with God consistently and feel that, yeah, we're doing battle and seeing things happen. But actually, in the 27 years since that was prophesied over me, prayer has been a battle. Prayer has been hard work. Something I've had to fight on and through. 
And there have been times where I've thought, what is the point? This promise, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about it. But on the church weekend away, I believe that I came into some degree of freedom around my prayer life and things have been different. And so this promise, living with this again now. And maybe you've got promises like that. Maybe you've let them get dusty. Maybe you've filed them away on the shelf. Maybe it's time to dust them off again. Open, up, open them up and see what they might be meaning for you today. So it could be big picture promises. It could be for you as an individual. It could be that you're very much holding on to promises for us as a church at the moment. And that's what's living with you at the moment. God has spoken many things over this church. He said that we will be a church that makes Jesus famous. He said that we will be a church of changed lives. He said that we will be a church that releases destiny for people. Have we seen this yet? I think in some measure we have. Do I think that there's more? Yes, I do. We can learn from Simeon. He held these promises. He held both the big picture and the personal, and he was waiting for it. He was looking for it actively, living in active expectation of these. So what about you and your promises? Are they real? Are they things that you go back to? So that's what he was looking for. But how did he look? I don't mean what did he look like, but how was he doing the looking? I think there's a very simple answer to this. He was looking in the Spirit. When we read the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit generally coming on particular people at particular times for a particular purpose. And examples of that would include Samson or Gideon or Bezalel or Saul. But following Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, we then read about Pentecost. And at Pentecost, we see the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, which was, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on sons and daughters, on young men and old men, on slaves, on the free, just poured out. And there was, there was a change, there was a difference. Pentecost ushered in a new era of the spirit. And we now live in the light of that. So each of us can know the ongoing filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, when we read Paul's letters, he encourages the churches or people he's writing to, and that therefore we can accept as well, to do things like walk in the Spirit. Or to go on being filled with the Spirit. And so I find it absolutely fascinating that when I read this account of Simeon, he lived pre-Pentecost. So he lived in the era of the Spirit being on particular people at particular times for particular purposes. And yet, three times the Spirit is talked about in relation to Simeon. So in verse 25, we read that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Wow. Not just the Holy Spirit was upon him for this particular thing, which is what a lot of the Old Testament stories are like, but no, the Holy Spirit was upon him. This wasn't just a man who was righteous 
i.e. living righteously, or devout, i.e. seeking God, which is how he's also described. He's described as that, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Love that. There's a different dynamic about this man. But not only was the Holy Spirit on him, he also knew communion with the Spirit. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That promise was a promise direct from God. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and gave him a promise. This was a man who knew the voice of God, who knew not only what it was to have the Spirit on him, but the Holy Spirit speaking to him. And not only that, but in verse 27, it says, and he came in the Spirit to the temple. So for the third time we see the Spirit mentioned in relation to Simeon. The Holy Spirit guided him on that day, at that moment, into the temple. I just find that quite startling. It really sort of jumps out of the page at you. If you've read the Bible from Genesis through to this point, this is different. It's significant that Simeon is described in that way. And just as a little aside, I mean, Simeon is one of those people who just appears for half a page and then disappears again. Just puts in this little cameo performance. He's not going to win an Oscar for that, is he? Just there and then gone. One scene. And yet so instructive for us. When you dig down into scripture, so instructive for us. So many things fall out for us. And so, surely as we read this, there's a challenge for us, isn't there? Of how does your life look in comparison to Simeon's? Do you know the Holy Spirit upon you? Do you know the voice of the Spirit? Has he spoken promises into you that you're then holding dear? Is he guiding your steps as you go out into the day? Because that's what Simeon was like. So Simeon was looking for these promises and he was a man in tune with the Spirit looking for these promises. And so what did he see? That's the third question. Well, this scene is special, I think, that we read. Mary and Joseph come into the temple. Jesus... I imagine cradled in in Mary's arms because she probably got to carry the baby and Joseph had to carry the pigeons. 40-day-old baby, six and a bit weeks. Tiny thing. And they, they cross the court of the Gentiles and enter into the court of the women. And it's my guess that that's where this offering had to be presented because it was for Mary, it was for the woman and the women weren't allowed beyond that that court of the women. And so they're there and there'll be lots of people around, lots of people doing similar sorts of things. Jesus wouldn't be the only six-week-old baby um, in that court that day, I don't think. And then we see Simeon enter. Holy Spirit on him. I imagine him to be fairly old. And he kind of walks in, he's been told by the Spirit to be there at this moment. 
So he looks around. There. Makes a beeline for that little family. Mary, Joseph, Jesus. How does he introduce himself? I have no idea. But he knows that that is the king. That's the saviour. And he takes him in his arms. He doesn't just get to see the king, he gets to hold the king. Verse 28, takes him in his arms. Just, wow! The consolation of Israel, here. The salvation of Israel, in my arms. The light to the Gentiles, there he is. Amazing scene. On Friday, Beck went to see her sister, who lives down near Oxford, who had a baby last Sunday morning. To say that I was envious, because I had to work, is probably a fair comment, because I wanted to go and have a cuddle as well. But she got to hold her new nephew in her arms, and then came back with this string of photos, just to rub it in, I think, really. When you hold a newborn, there's something incredible about that, I think. Just to look at them and think about the potential that that life has. What are they going to do? Maybe what are they going to be called if you get in there quick enough? So full of potential, so, so fresh, so unsullied by cynicism and disappointment and the weather and whatever else. <laughs> and and that, that is the scene here. Simeon gets to hold the king of the universe in his arms. And just, this is what he's been waiting for. And he, his blessing is amazing. Lord, you can take me now. Basically, that's what he says. Because... This is that that you promised. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all peoples. A light to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. He sees, he sees the fulfilment of the promise that was made to him. But I think there is one thing that we should note here. It didn't just happen to him. It's not that he was sat at home in his dressing gown and slippers with a cup of cocoa and there was a knock on the door. Hi Simeon, consolation of Israel here, just like to introduce myself. No, he, he was active in the process. He had to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He had to recognise what God was doing. As he, as he looked out across that court of, of the women and saw these different groupings, he had to be sensitive to where the spirit was going and step out. Had to reach out. Had to take the child in his hands and in faith proclaim. Because he didn't have a badge on him. This was a step of faith. And I think as a general rule of thumb of how we see promises fulfilled, we are active in that process. God partners with us. It's one of the most incredible things that, of the Christian life. It doesn't mean that it's down to our effort whether they come true or not. Not at all. But we have to be sensitive to his leading, his guiding. We have to be, take a step of faith 
in seeing things happen. And as we have started to look at this, at at our series on the kingdom, and believing that we will see the kingdom breaking out, we're going to need to be people who are sensitive to the spirit and take steps of faith. A few weeks ago, we had some carpet fitted. And um, apologies to my life group, because you've heard this story already. We had some carpet fitted. And the guy came at about 9.30 in the morning. And uh, you could tell immediately he wasn't in good shape. They were bedroom carpets, which meant that he had to carry them upstairs, which was interesting. It was clear he was in quite a lot of pain. And um, anyway, within about a minute, he told me how he had a a very bad hip. It had been uh, bad for the last six weeks. He'd gone to the doctor and he was basically due to have an MRI scan on it um, on the Sunday morning. And then he was saying how strange it was that it was Sunday morning, etc. So I thought, immediately thought, I should probably pray for this guy. I've been kind of challenged about my, uh, you know, the kingdom breaking in. Yeah, I want to see God move in power, see people healed. So I offered him a cup of tea and, um, <laughs> um, and then came down to the kitchen. Beck had a friend round and uh, just said... Um, this guy, he's, he's, in a, he's in a bad way. don't know that we're going to get our carpets fitted, to be honest. Um, but, um, you know, he, should I pray for him? Now, I really feel that maybe I should. And they went, well, if you feel you should, then you should. I was hoping they'd say, oh, no, no, no. It's not very professional to do that when he's working. Um, but they didn't say that. Um, so anyway, throughout the morning, I was working from home that day, and I just spent the morning basically walking around the house going, should I pray for him? God, why have you made me think about this? Uh, oh, dear. And so I, um, I basically kept finding excuses to go in to chat to him, to be in the same room, in the hope that he'd say, look, I, to be honest, I'm just looking for someone to pray for me. <laughs> so anyway, he had a lot of cups of tea, um, and, and we chatted about all sorts of different things. I know quite a lot about his family. Um, and, um, yeah, and I didn't get much work done either, to be fair, that morning. Anyway, it came to 12.30. And I knew that he was basically, you know, the carpet was fitted. He was just gathering up all those bits and pieces you get. And so I thought, well, it's now or never. So I'd rehearsed what I was going to say. Right, I know, I know what I'm going to do. So I walked in and said, your hip... It's been bothering me that it's not right. Um, It's giving you a lot of pain. Um, I'm a Christian. I believe that God heals people, so I'd like to pray for you. Go, Simon. That's good. That, that 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 was my rehearsed line. That was my rehearsed line. This was his response. Well, I think it might be getting to that. What does that mean? Is that a yes or a no? And then he went off on a tangent talking about his grandchildren. So I thought, right, I'm not having this. I've three hours I've built up to this moment. So I said, I said, right, so can I pray for you then? And he said, no thanks, I'm all right. And I just thought, what was that all about? What was that all about? And so, so anyway, he left. You know, I paid him, and he left. I said, I'll give you the cheque if you pay, pray for you. No, I didn't do that. Um, 
And, and then, I, so I was just kind of thinking about it and thinking, actually, for me, that was a step of faith, just to offer to pray. And... <laughs> I'm not saying this to big me up at all, but hopefully to encourage you. Because I think it's little steps. And actually, for me, that was significant because I've not done that type of thing before. I travel on trains a lot. There's a lot of sick people on trains. The amount they sneeze and cough over you. Maybe I should be praying for some of those people. But then you have to sit next to them for three hours. That's the, that's the issue. So, you know, there may be some more stories like this coming your way. But, but... I'm believing that actually one day, one day... Well, I mean, the other thing to say is, what happens if he comes into one of your houses, if you're fitting carpets, and then someone says, I'd love to pray for you because my God heals. Or maybe more assertively, I am going to pray for you now because my God heals. But I believe that one day, one day I'll be able to start that type of conversation with, do you know what? I've seen a number of people with that condition healed because I believe in God who can make hips better. And then I'll be able to pray for them. And so I just want to kind of raise our expectations. I mean, in a, in a sense, you might go away and think, that was a bit of a non-story, fine. But I want to raise our expectations. You can do better than that. <laughs> but, but what is it you're looking for? Simeon recognised what was going on because he was holding those promises and wouldn't let them go. I will not die until I see the Lord's anointed. I'm waiting for that consolation of Israel. So what is it we are looking for? What is it you are looking for as an individual? What are those promises that you're holding tight and saying, God, I'm not letting go of this until it happens. And as a church... What are we stepping into in terms of the kingdom? I'm excited about this series. I think that God is going to move us into a new level, if you like, a new realm of seeing him break out all around us. But we've got to be prepared to be sensitive to the spirit and what he's doing and take steps of faith. I think that is what Simeon teaches us. (laughs)